0: Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. And in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Jeff Goins, the blogger and best-selling author of five books, including The Art of Work and Real Artists Don't Starve. Originally from the Chicago suburbs, Jeff grew up with two hard-working parents that instilled in him the value of what it means to put a lot of effort and care into your career. And from an early age, Jeff found himself gravitating towards writing as a skill and hobby he wanted to dedicate more time to. In college, he studied both religion and the Spanish language, which would send him down the path of working with several Christian organizations and even touring the US for a year, playing gigs as a member in a Christian band. It was at this time in the mid-2000s that Jeff realized his passion for music wasn't as strongly held as he once believed it to be. What he did enjoy, however, was writing the regular blog updates on how his band's journey was going. At the encouragement of friends, family, and coworkers, Jeff really zeroed in on writing as a regular practice, which turned into a series of blogs and eventually the books he's now widely known for. In this episode, Jeff and I talk about how he got started as an early blogger nearly 15 years ago, including the prolific guest blogging campaign he launched, landing over 100 guest posts to promote his blog in just his first year. We cover his personal writing process, including the importance of establishing a clear habit of writing every single day, and what it's taken for him to create some of the highest SEO-ranked content on the internet when it comes to writing advice. We touch on the many different ways he's monetized his blog over the years, starting first with a simple ebook he generated $1,500 in a weekend based on a slideshow from a simple talk he gave, then how he graduated to online courses that generated hundreds of thousands of dollars The High Impact Writing Coaching is now doing today and more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Jeff Goins. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. The pleasure is mine. Uh, And I do have a ton I want to cover with you today. Um, But let's start back at the beginning. Uh, You're originally from the Chicago area, right? Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. Aha. What did your parents do when you were a kid? What kind of like landed them there in the first place? Um, So
1: my dad's parents are from Northern Alabama and they moved their whole family up to, uh, Chicago for a job and they stayed there and raised their kids. But, some um, our, all of our extended relatives on my dad's side of the family are all still back in, uh, Alabama. And so my parents actually moved back there a few years ago, but, uh, he, he kind of grew up, you know, in the Chicagoland area. My mom is, uh, from that area as well. And, um, they uh, have done a bunch of different things. Uh, my dad has always been kind of a blue collar worker. He has uh, been a carpenter, maintenance guy, uh, you know, pizza uh, maker. <laughs> Just, I mean, all kinds of things. And my mom has, has done a bunch of different jobs as well throughout uh, her life. Just you know, typical middle class blue collar kind of uh, upbringing. And uh, we lived kind of outside the city for a while. And then when I was 10, uh, we moved kind of out into the country, about an hour west of Chicago, just outside of a town called uh, DeKalb.
0: Yeah. Nice. I find it uh, interesting that one of the trends I've kind of identified with a lot of the people I've had here on the show is that uh, they've had parents that knew the definition of hard work. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was something hard to
0: instill that in their kids. Yeah. That was something
1: that uh, was both good and, you know, challenging because um, there is, you know, growing up in the Midwest, being kind of lower middle class, there is this ethos, which is that if you want something, you have to work hard for it, which is a good thing. Uh, But if you want more of that something, more money, more success, whatever, then you have to work harder. And there comes a point where that actually doesn't work, right? Like you've got to think about how to work smarter, how do I create leverage for myself? And the typical middle class ethos is you just have to kind of kill yourself to get what you want, uh, even if it kills you.
0: (laughs) Do you remember any early uh, creative endeavors, businesses, side projects, um, things that you worked on at a younger age? Business, no. Creative,
1: yes. I've always made things. Um, the I don't know. I mean, as long as I've been alive, I've liked to make things. And so um, early on, that was art. I liked drawing. And so I made my own Garfield comics. And, uh, you know, drew them and, and I had a friend who drew Odie and I drew Garfield and we kind of teamed up together. Um, then I got into music and uh, was in a couple of bands in uh, high school and college. Um, and then, you know, later on, I got r- really into writing. Uh, writing was really something that I always did. It just kind of manifested itself in different ways. You know, Garfield comics, comic books when I was in middle school. Then I started writing poems about the girls who wouldn't go out with me. And eventually I put music to those poems and turned them into really sad songs. But yeah, I mean, I just always uh, wanted to make things and share them with people. Um, I would put on plays for my parents. Then we got a camcorder. I would like record those plays and share them with people. I was always very shy in front of people, but I had no problem making something, performing, and then sharing it with people. So I think arts and creativity were my ways of um, connecting with people in and, and ways that otherwise would have been difficult.
0: I love that. Well, let's talk about who Jeff was as a young adult now. Um, in, in university, you studied Spanish and religion. Why did you choose those two areas of study to focus on? I mean, I, I chose religion just because I thought it was interesting.
1: Um, I didn't come from a particularly religious background. Uh, eventually got really involved in uh, Christian activities on, uh, at a college and ended up working for a, a Christian nonprofit after I graduated from college. But um, at the time, I just thought it was interesting. Um, I mean, isn't that kind of the question? You know, where where did we come from? What is this about? Why are we here? Um, and so, you know, studying the world's religions was, was and continues to be a fascination of mine. So I didn't have uh, enough ambition to know what I would do with that. Um, getting to college was the point. Um, my parents hadn't graduated from college. Uh, most of our relatives at the time, most of my cousins and uh, aunts and uncles um, were not college educated. And so like just getting to college was kind of the point. And once I got there, I kind of thought, well, I can just kind of do whatever I want. And so I studied the things that were interesting to me. And I was also interested in Spanish. I tested into a 300-level Spanish class, um, which was way over my head um, as a freshman. But um, I just got kind of got thrown into this world where I was like, this is really cool and interesting. And I learned about study abroad programs. And so uh, my junior year, I signed up for a study abroad program, and uh, my Uh, one of my professors said, well, if you go to Spain for a semester, I mean, you'll basically have enough credits that if you just keep taking a Spanish uh, um, class every semester, you'll have a major by the time you graduate. I was like, all right, cool. I guess I have two majors now. But um, yeah, I mean, that was all the thought that went into it. It Was This is interesting to me and uh, I want to leave. I want to go somewhere else. I guess I'll go to Spain and, and study Spanish there for a while. I love it. I mean, it's the best time of life to do those kinds of things though, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was unfettered and, um, and untethered and I was, uh, free to pursue the things that growing up, I, I probably never thought were possible, you know, to go live in another country for four or five months. Um, that was crazy. And, uh, and it happened. It was, it was
0: an amazing experience. So I have to ask, you know, after graduating from college, um, from what I read about you, you toured with a band for a year. Why yes. didn't you continue pursuing a career in music? What happened?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it was, um, it was a, uh, it was a nonprofit ministry organization. So what we did was, um, we would play music in churches, schools, and prisons. And it was a year-long commitment. So it was like a structured thing. Uh, it was an organization. And we had these two full-time teams that were bands that would travel uh, all over North America. And then we both spent time, about a month, in um, uh, overseas locations. And so it was, um, what it was, was a basically this Christian mission organization. And during the school, school year, you know, the September to May year, um, we would play in all these different places and then we would recruit young musicians to join this um, music missions program where we would send people to these different parts of the world and they would play music um, with these various ministries. Uh, So it was a year-long commitment and uh, I could have continued with it and could have continued music, but I learned a couple of things through that experience. One was um, I didn't really want to play music, Uh, and (laughs) I I, (laughs) yeah I didn't want to play it as a profession because like anything that you enjoy doing, uh, when you turn it into a job, it looks a little bit different, right? And so the job of being a musician is not the same thing as playing music for fun. And so I'd always played music for fun, and the job of being a professional musician playing five to ten shows a week was. Ninety um, percent travel logistics. Getting my twenty-something peers to get up on time so we could drive the van. You know, another twelve hours to the next place. You know, next stop on the tour. Um, you know, at this level of you know fame that we did not have, that's what it looked like. We're lugging our own gear. we um, you know, I was one of two drivers. Driving 10, 12 hours a day to get to some church where they give us a casserole and then we play for 45 minutes and then pack it all up and sleep on somebody's couch. So, doing that for a year, I was like, "Mm, you know, this is okay. And I learned a lot of lessons from it. But then the other thing was, I just, when you get the thing that you think you want, you realize, and you're sort of underwhelmed by it, it teaches you something. And I remember having a conversation with um, one of the members of the band that year who was the bass player, and he said, man, if I couldn't play music, I don't know what I would do. And I literally thought, well, I would just do something else. And that's a pretty good clue that like this is not the thing that you should be doing. If you could just go do something else on a whim. And I realized that the thing that I looked most forward to during that entire year was every Saturday, and we would often stay in people's homes to you know keep expenses low, sometimes in hotels, but mostly in people's homes. And I was staying at somebody's home outside of New York City, and it was Saturday. And every Saturday, I would write a blog post updating all of our friends and family and what little fans we had on kind of what the week looked like. And the other band, the other team that was a part of this organization would just typically write, like, we went here, we did this, we did that thing. And I always turned it into this story or essay. And, and I wrote every detail and tried to, you know, describe it in an interesting and narrative way. And I got back to kind of our headquarters, because um, we had like a, uh, an office staff that would support us uh, on the tour. And, um, they said, man, we look forward to reading your blog posts every week. Uh, you should turn that into a book. Hmm. And and that was essentially how I started blogging and writing for an audience. And
0: uh, I was like, wow, I really like this. Maybe I could do more of this. When did you decide to launch your own blog?
1: Um, the first blog that I launched uh, was that year. I was doing it for our uh, band. And then I enjoyed it and I was like, okay, um, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And I had some friends who were getting into blogging. This was 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. And so I started a Zanga blog on Zanga.com. Oh boy, Yeah. Old school. And I sort that's when I started blogging and, um, and started and stopped, you know, many blogs over the years before it really took off for me.
0: Do you remember the very first article that you wrote for the current iteration of your site?
1: I could go back and look. I remember I, okay. I remember um, one of the very first articles um, being like, I was trying to be Seth Godin and I was trying to be super clever. And it was just like, if you if you read those first 10 or so blog posts, because I was writing uh, daily uh, on the blog, um, you see me trying to find my voice and I'm like, I'm going to be Seth Godin. I'm going to be Steven Pressfield. I'm going to be Michael Hyatt. And just trying to be these different people until I figured out how to, kind of find my own style. And I wrote, I wrote a blog post that I just thought was super clever. And it was called, um, when life hands you lemons, learn alchemy. And too clever, many layers to that. When life hands you lemons, learn alchemy. The idea here was that like, you know, people say, when life hands you lemons, uh, you know, make Uh, lemonade. And I was like, no, like you can make the world whatever you want. If life hands you lemons, you can make orange juice. Uh, But I said, you know, learn alchemy. And so there's just too much cleverness there. Uh, But that was probably one of the very first blog posts I wrote.
0: I love that. That's very clever. Um, Too clever. I I look back at my own first, you know, a handful of articles too. And it's this funny feeling now, you know, after having done this for five, six, seven years, um, where it's a mixture of embarrassment and like, oh, I was kind of stumbling through the dark, figuring out who I am as a writer too. I think that's a really important part of the journey though.
1: Yeah. I I talked to a best-selling author who sold 11 million copies of his books. Uh, And he walks into bookstores and sees his novels on the shelves and uh, just wants to tear them all down because they embarrass him, right? (laughs) And the only thing that keeps him from actually doing that is the thought, these are my journals. These are my diaries. These are a snapshot of what I thought and believed at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had, uh, over the years, nine different blogs uh, before I started my current blog, goingwriter.com, and, uh, I could go back and delete those blogs you can find them One's called the toilet seat. <laughs> oh my I mean, they're, they're terrible ideas, <laughs> but it's me sort of fumbling around trying to figure out what I want to say. And, um, I don't delete them because one, uh, I want people to be able to find my bad work, uh, if they dig deep yeah. enough, cause I think that could be encouraging, you know, the people who just kind of arrive on the scene and they're brilliant, like that discourages me, mm-hmm. uh, So I think that's, you know, as humbling as it is, it's um, an encouragement to those trying to find their way. And it's a reminder to myself, like, look how far you've come.
0: I like that. It's good context for not only for yourself, but for everyone else. Um, So you've been at this blogging thing uh, for approaching 15 years or so now. Um, Do you remember the first time that you generated some sort of meaningful amount of income as a result of blogging? And I'm sure that can come about from, you know, a multitude of different ways, but something that sticks out in your mind is like an early, hey, I might be able to make a career of this kind of thing.
1: Uh, well, it just hit me that it's been
0: 15 years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry for that. <laughs> wow. I guess that's right. You know, it's almost 2020. I started in 2005. Time that's, it's crazy. I was having a conversation. This is a side comment, but it's a good story. I, I had breakfast with Stephen Pressfield, the author of The War of Art. Great uh, writer, somebody I look up to. And, um, he, uh, he said, how long have you been doing this? I said, writing? He, uh, he said, yeah. I said, well, you know, professionally, like, you know, I started my latest blog, like 2000, you know, 11, um, beginning of 2011. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, what is that? Eight years, almost nine years. And he said, oh, so not long then. And <laughs> I, I mean, this is a guy who's been writing for 40 years. Right. I, and yeah. I was like, Oh, I, I guess not. He goes, yeah, you got a long ways to go. You got, you know, you're, all your best works ahead of you. And it was like, it was actually really encouraging, you know, it was humbling and encouraging. Like this is, um, this is a marathon. Um, so the question was meaningful income. Is that the question?
0: Yeah. Whenever you yeah. felt like, Hey, I can make a
1: go of this. Right. So going com was this like portfolio site that I used to try to get, freelance writing clients and I would get like a couple of gigs here or there for like a hundred bucks a piece. I remember one time somebody paid me to write like signage copy for a state park and it was like a hundred dollar gig and I lost the check and was too embarrassed to um, ask for another one. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So it was my first paid gig, Um, but it was very sporadic like that. And then when I decided to start the blog really at the end of 2010 and, and, and got it going at the beginning of 2011, I was just like, I am just going to write on this every day and figure out what I want to say, and then hopefully build an audience, and then from there I'll figure out what to do with this. I thought maybe someday I could like publish a book. That was as far as I thought. Um, I did end up getting uh, a book deal in two thousand at the end of two thousand eleven, and and I had started to do like ads on my site, but it was still pretty sporadic. I mean, the book deal I got a book contract for. In advance of five thousand dollars, which was nice, um, but not life changing money necessarily, and not something I could live off of. For me, book wrecked. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's the first uh, book that I wrote. Um, but at that, that, that sort of established me as an authority and I'd grown an audience of about 10,000, uh, email subscribers at this point. And people kept telling me about monetizing. And I was like looking for the, the button on my blog that if I like switched it, you know, in the WordPress kitchen sink or something, it would go from, you know, uh, zero to dollar signs. And that was the monetization button. And I couldn't find this button. Uh, so somebody encouraged me to do a survey, and I ran a survey to my audience. Ten thousand email subscribers. A thousand people responded to my survey and and told me what they would buy from me. Hmm. Uh, and so I started selling a an ebook bundle for two dollars and ninety nine cents. And in uh, I, I said, hey, you're going to get these two for. It's normally four dollars and ninety nine cents, and this week you're going to get it for two dollars and ninety nine cents. And like f- five hundred people bought it, um, and I made fifteen hundred dollars in a weekend. And that was a paycheck to me. Yeah, And I was like, I just like, I took an old keynote presentation of a talk that I had given for free at my sister's journalism class in college and turned it into an ebook. Um, and people just gave me money. I got $1,500 for this. I was like, I could do this. I could do one of these every month. <laughs> and that book eventually became the self-published book. Uh, you are a writer, so start acting like one. Uh and then you know the next month month I made like three grand off of that, then five grand, then six grand, then four grand, then six grand. You know, it's just like I ended up making like fifty thousand dollars that year off of that book. Uh and then it launched an online course that I made about another another hundred thousand dollars off of uh six months later. And this is all 2012, you know, the second half of 2012 was this big breakout year. Uh, but it started with me simply asking my readers, "What do you want from me that you would be willing to pay for?" And it started with this kind of crappy PDF book that I threw together. When I saw that people were liking it and buying it, I took it down and then spent a few months um, turning it into a better product.
0: I love it, and that you know, I think that survey was your version of the the dollar sign button, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it led you to where you needed to be. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, people are like monetize
1: and I didn't actually know what that meant. I didn't know that meant I had to create something that people wanted to buy and that I would have to sell it to them. In order to sell something to them, I should find out what they wanted to buy in the first place, what problems they had, what struggles they were having and which of those I could
0: help. So Jeff, two things I've always really um, appreciated your advice and your writing on has been, um, you know, how to write content that's compelling enough to get people to want to come to your blog. Um, and then also building a list of engaged email subscribers, right? So so creating content that convinces people, hey, this is a site that I want to tune into. Um, and I want to dig into these two subjects with you. So in the very early days of your blog and your writing career, Um, What would you say were your biggest sources of traffic? How were people coming to your blog and discovering you originally?
1: Uh, The biggest source of traffic was other people's blogs. Uh, So I would write lots of guest posts. Uh, In 2011, I wrote an article per day, every day on my blog, so 365 articles. Um, And then I wrote an extra 100 or so articles for other people's uh, websites So I was batching a lot of these, but I mean, I wrote, you know, 465 plus, uh, articles and blog posts that year. And, um, guest posting was the best thing that I did for my blog. It grew my readership from uh, a thousand subscribers. The first thousand subscribers just came from, uh, friends referring, uh, people to my website and then me creating a lead magnet where people opted into an email list and got a free download, but then from 1,000 to 10,000 was me like literally just going and writing a, a blog post for lots of different people, driving that traffic back to the website, having people opt into the email list. And every time I did this uh, at the time, you know, I'd get anywhere from a handful of subscribers to several hundred. And I, it worked. And so I just did it over and over and over again. So guest posting was the number one way that I got a lot of traction pretty quickly.
0: Geez, I have so much uh, FOMO from what you just said. I was looking at how many <laughs> how many articles I have on my own blog this morning, and I'm at only like 220 or so. So mm-hmm. you just gave me that Stephen Pressfield moment of uh, <laughs> realizing how much work I have to do. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. It was, you know, Seth Godin says about um, writing. He said nobody ever gets talker's block, right? You 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 should ta- you should write the way you talk, which is to say often and in public. And from that blog post, it's called Talker's Blog, you can Google it. It's a short little, you know, typical Seth Godin blog post, three or four lines and, you know, punches you in the gut. But from that blog post, I got the idea of practicing in public. And I realized that I spent six years becoming a mediocre musician. uh, And then I joined a band, And in a year, I got better than I ever thought I could be. And the difference between those six years and that year was for six years, I practiced kind of with my friends jamming in my basement where the stakes were pretty low. And when I joined a band, I basically played a show every day for a year. And I had to get much, much better faster because I was doing it in public. And so for me, the blog was just a way to practice in front of people. Uh, and if people showed up, great, but the, but the real reason I was doing it was to get better. And I did. I got a lot better at writing, a lot faster. I've been doing it my whole life, and I, I really found my voice within a year of starting a blog because I was just showing up every day working on it. in the same way that like, you know, if you go to the gym once every two weeks and kill yourself, you're not gonna get into as good a shape as just going in every day. Uh, lifting a little bit more, getting stronger, you know, just getting getting used to the process and, and showing up uh, on a regular basis to do the work.
0: Yeah. There's a lot to be said for building that regular habit too. I, I see a lot of benefits personally when I'm when I'm in the groove and I have, you know, clear time set aside, like, hey, this is when I'm going to write, this is when I'm gonna publish. That's respecting those rules. That becomes what's important. Yep. So as a ballpark figure today, how many readers are you seeing on your blog? And, you know, what are some of those bigger traffic sources today?
1: Um, So I think, you know, in terms of just like unique visits to the blog, probably quarter of a million a month, Um, you know, that that varies uh, month to month. The biggest source of traffic to the blog now is just organic search uh, because I've written I don't know, over a thousand articles. Um, And a lot of them rank pretty highly on Google for a certain search terms. There's just this long tail of traffic. I have one blog post that gets almost a thousand visits a day just from organic search. Um, And that's just from me writing a lot of stuff over a long period of time, thinking about what's going to uh, serve the audience. So organic search, uh, some, you know, social media, Facebook. um, I've written a couple of articles that have done have been shared a lot on Facebook and that's done really well. Uh, And then, you know, Twitter is probably, you know, the next source uh, from there. But yeah, I mean, I think those are probably the main sources. There's probably a long tail of traffic of referrals from other people's uh, websites. But because I prioritized guest posting early on and I knew a little bit about search engine optimization from being a marketing director at a nonprofit for seven years, I was writing uh, articles that were, I was, I was thinking about the headline and I was writing articles that I thought people might search for. Mm-hmm. And because I was getting a lot of backlinks from these, um, uh, other websites that I was guest posting for, uh, it just created a lot of good, you know, juice as they say, um, yeah. that, um, over time, cause that's a big factor in SEO, as I'm sure, you know, is, um, over time uh, I realized I had a lot of assets that at the time I didn't really know that I was creating, but, Looking back, a thousand articles that have a lot of backlinks and searchable terms, that, that, those were valuable uh, pieces that I was creating. At the time, I was just like writing what was on my mind and trying to think, how do I title this in a way that is going to catch people's attention and might be something that somebody would search in a search engine, which is, you know, not mm-hmm. when life gives you lemons, learn alchemy.
0: I love it. so you know I'm glad that you also highlighted that this is something that takes a lot of time to create, and and it's a lot of effort, right? Um, yeah. but on the on the email list side of things now, um, do you take the approach of placing, say you know newsletter subscribe boxes within your blog content, or do you kind of take a more specifically created resource like you know a free course or a downloadable template um, in exchange for someone joining on a very specific page of yours?
1: I do both depending on how highly trafficked the the pages are. And to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time working on that anymore. I did early on. I have an audience and, you know, growing the audience is important. Um, Maintaining trust with the audience is more important for me Um, because I've reached a threshold where I feel like I have enough people paying attention to my work that now my goal is to go deep with those who are connecting with my content and showing up. Um, and going out and earning another fan, uh, is, is good, but that's a different kind of energy than, um, you know, sitting down with somebody that's been following you for five years and saying, all right, what don't, you know, what haven't we talked about? How do we go deeper in this process of growth and transformation together? Um, that said, we have a ton of lead magnets on the site, content upgrades, where somebody, you know, reads a blog post about a certain subject and there's a specific, lead magnet resource that people can download if they sign up for your email list. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my thought is, um, it's, it's good. Sometimes people call this a bribe. I think of it as a reward, Right. If you come over to my house, you give me your time. I'm going to say, hey, do you need something to drink? Can I give you something to eat? Like, it's just a kind of a hospitable thing to do. Hey, you're at my website. You signed up for my email list. Let me give you something to let you know that this is not just a, I'm not just going to be taking your time and attention and ask for your money. Like I'm going to start this relationship giving. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, free resources. I've done email courses, um, Webinars have done you know, really well historically uh, for me, just getting people on the email list and building trust with them and then maintaining that through a newsletter. And then just asking people, hey, you can, you can just get tips from me and sign up for the newsletter. But generally speaking, having a lead magnet, a resource that people can get when they sign up for my email list has been the best way to attract people to join the list.
0: So Jeff, the last question I had for you today, um, looking at your business as a whole, you've got you know, the five books, a podcast, uh, passive income from your blog, courses, communities like Tribe Writers. Um, what do you focus on growing over the next year to come? Um, so I'm changing a lot of things. Uh, I'm
1: moving away from a lot of the hardcore internet marketing stuff that I've been doing for years, online courses, creating the next information product to sell, because uh, there's just a lot of people doing that. There's a lot of people buying those products, resources, programs, and not not doing them, not getting the results that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's still a lot of good that's being done in that world, but I want to go deeper. So kind of two things that I'm working on now, I continue to have courses available and uh, thinking of new and creative ways to help people and package those where it's going to help people do the thing that they are struggling with. But the areas where I'm focusing now are, one, I have a mastermind group that um, meets weekly. And we uh, also do in-person events three times a year. And I've really enjoyed that. I've run a conference for the past five years. I've done workshops throughout the years. And there's something really powerful about getting in a room together and working on stuff together, asking questions, sharing what's going on. Um, and that's been one of the most rewarding things that I've done over the past four years is the mastermind group that we've been running. Uh, so I'm hoping to grow that and find, cause we've really created a process for how we can help people achieve their goals, whether they be writing goals, business goals, uh, you know, creative opportunities that they want to pursue. Uh, we work with writers and creatives to help them kind of figure out, um, how they can make a living off of this thing that they want to do. And so running the mastermind has been really cool. And then I'm doing a lot more writing and speaking these days. So uh, I run a program called Write a Bestseller where we work hands-on with people to help them bake the marketing of the book into their book. And as part of that program, we have a coaching program. We have a small group coaching thing where people are writing books kind of together. And every week we're getting together uh, and talking about it, and then I've started doing some ghostwriting with clients based on that same process. I will help you uh, if it's a good fit. Come up with a big idea, um, and then bake that idea into the book, and then figure out how to sell that to a publisher or you know publish it in a way where we're going to get a lot of attention around that book. And so, in a way, I've kind of come full circle. I started this whole business so that I could write more, and I really got consumed for a number of years with. Uh, helping writers and not in kind of neglecting my own craft. And now I'm coming back into it in a more integrative way where I still am very interested in helping other writers and creative entrepreneurs. Uh, but I'm just doing a lot more of the core thing that I want to be doing, which is writing
0: and making things. And it certainly seems, at least from where I stand looking at what you're doing, that you're sort of going towards this lower volume of people that you work with yeah. and having like a much higher impact on what they're trying to do too.
1: Yeah. Um, it's really cool to sell a $500 course to a thousand people. That's fun. It's really discouraging when you go into, you know, your analytics tool for your online course and realize that, you know, less than 50% of the people have completed the course. And so at a certain point for me, I have to go, am I really making the kind of difference that I want to make? You know, and you go, well, that's on them and that's not up to you and sure, but like I'm selling transformation and if I am not helping people actually experience transformation, I've got to figure that out. I've got to work harder, better vet the right clients and customers or reconsider the model. And so I've reconsidered the model and yeah, I in I get a lot of life out of working with a smaller number of people who are committed and willing to go deeper And it's more rewarding. And frankly, the money is the same. You know, I'm not like playing the martyr. Um, You can charge more to work with fewer people, make the same amount of money and uh, achieve greater results. And that's been fun to make that shift.
0: Beautiful. Well, good for you. Um, I, I want to give you the opportunity also to tell everyone uh, listening today where they can go learn more about you, your kind of various programs that you're working on over the next year or so. Um, and yeah, tell us tell us where to find more.
1: Well, thanks, Ryan. It was, it was fun. I uh, love the questions. And you can find all the things at my website, goinswriter.com, G-O-I-N-S writer.com. Uh, and that's where you can find me.
0: I love it. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.